What is up, futurists? Michael Zakan here, your host, and you're listening to Our Future, where you will hear from the visionary business leaders shaping our future. Before we get rolling, do not forget to subscribe to the super entertaining business podcast wherever you listen and drop me a review on Apple Podcasts. My next guest is Jonathan Glickman, who served as president of MGM Studios, the iconic lion roar at the start of the movie from 2011 until he stepped down this January, and now he's launched his own production house called Glickmania, where John is returning to being a producer for a variety of content, movies, TV, and even a one-of-a-kind podcast musical. Pretty exciting stuff. John has worked on over 40 films, including Rush Hour, Creed, and he had a hand in all of the most recent Bond films, Skyfall, Spectre, and the upcoming No Time to Die, which he does touch on. Without further ado, let's dive into this conversation. John a way I like to start off my interviews, it's my absolute favorite question. And it's when you were my age, 20 years old, did you envision yourself being the president of a movie studio or being a film producer? No, I loved movies. And uh, when I was 20 years old, I was at the University of Michigan. I used to uh, often go to the Michigan theater and I would go see um, great art house films like Blue Velvet or whatever was playing at the time. I was sort of dabbling in history and English and in both cases, great stories either way you looked at it. And so I always was interested in storytelling. And um, it was when I was, I think, a sophomore or junior that Bob Shea, who was a student at the University of Michigan 25 or 30 years old, um, 25 or 30 years before me, came and presented the movie Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, the movie had come out a couple of years before, but he came and talked about it. And he was a student. And he had talked about how he was a student at Michigan and then how his path to making that movie and starting this little mini studio that was New Line Cinema um, came about. And I heard him talk. And at that moment, I sort of had the light bulb that I think I know how I could do this. And I think this is something that I would love to do. And I would say that was probably the lightning bolt in my brain. And that was probably where I really sort of figured out this is probably where I want to head. And then you decided to go to USC Cinematic Arts School. Is that Scott was telling me when George Lucas came out with Star Wars, that's when SC became, you know, the place to go to learn about movies. And when you were there, Mm -hmm. You convinced Joe Roth in an elevator to give you an internship. Uh, yeah, how, how, t- talk about an elevator pitch. Tell, tell me how. Uh, tell me how that went. Well, down. Joe Roth. So I knew who Joe Roth was. I knew he was a film director who had turned into a studio executive, and that he was young, and that he had just left Fox to start a production company. And, Caravan. And it was called Caravan Pictures. I uh, saw Joe Roth, who was speaking to our class that day. And he was going up an elevator to go to the top floor where the class was. And I darted, I was talking to some friends, I darted away from them, went into the elevator. And I pitched myself to be his intern when I was in the elevator. And there was a witness to this. His name is John August. He's a very successful screenwriter. And in fact, has a very successful podcast called Script Notes. So I have somebody who will verify that the story happened and he in fact he has said it's the most psychotic thing he ever saw in his life 
And the next morning, awesome. um, I got a phone call and he said, all right, Joe would like to hire you for the job. So, um, and that was really my big break. So you were a part of Rush Hour. You produced Rush Hour in the late 90s. Just, you know, Jackie Chan, just hilarious, fun movie. Thinking back on it now, what, what was the highlight of being part of that production? That movie was very important to me because uh, it was the first movie that I got a full producer credit on. It was really derived by my interest in just making an American star vehicle for Jackie Chan from when I first arrived in Los Angeles. But probably the greatest moment in making that movie was um, shooting at Man's Chinese Theater and in Hollywood with Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker. Dope. And, you know, having all the extras there and seeing all the people watching you shoot a movie and just knowing that you were in the centerpiece of where everybody in the world wants to go, Hollywood Boulevard, and seeing, you know, in front of the most, one of the most iconic, you know, locations in the United States of America, if not the world, and you're shooting a movie there with, you know, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker, who I absolutely love. It just was really a thrill. I love Is Jackie that. Chan just insane at the stunts? Like, he's just like a phenom to watch and work with. He absolutely is insane at the stunts, but he's also an incredibly underrated filmmaker and uh, kind of made my life easy. I made five movies with him, and I'm, he's made us very spoiled because... If you ever got into a jam with an action scene, he could get you out of the scene and figure out how to solve it. You know, you continued to make some pretty dope movies in the 2000s. You know, for example, um, we'll use The Vow as an example, getting a little uh, romantic, a little, little gooey, gooey stuff there. But in 2011, you were tapped to be the president of MGM Studios. And for you, what was your thought process going into that role? Because I feel like from where from where I'm looking at it, you were going to be zoomed out, right? You were going to be this business guy that was overseeing all of this stuff rather than working specifically on like individual films. How, what was your thought process going into that role? Um, I definitely was, I was very excited about it for several reasons. First of all, it's MGM. And I told you, I grew up loving films and there is no more iconic brand that's associated with movies than that line. Um, and I also am a huge fan of the James Bond franchise. So I knew I was going to work on, uh, at least one James Bond movie. And I was lucky enough to work on three. And I also, um, knew I was going to be part of the legacy of, of what that studio represented, which was movies like Rocky, probably as important of viewing experiences I had as a kid. And I didn't know we were going to be making Creed at that time and all of the other great films that that studio had made. Um, and it was going to allow me to exercise a different part of my brain, more of a business side, and also create a slate of films instead of getting deep inside of one yeah. film. Now, I never really made just one film at a time. When I was a producer, I always had several things going at the same time. But this also gave me much more of a sense of two things. Number one, making sure that we had a slate of films, not just for this year, but for the next year and the following year. And number two, we took a company that was in bankruptcy and we had to start from scratch to rebuild it, but also rebuild it in a way that was financially prudent so that theoretically the concept was that we were going to turn it over and sell it in a few years. We ended up not selling it. The business became extremely successful and the owners of the studio decided they wanted to keep it rolling. But the concept was always that we were going to 
rebuild it and flip it. And yeah. so it was just an interesting exercise for me. I told you I was an English major and I was a, you know, interested in history. I didn't take economics or business classes when I was in college. So it was a new world for me to experience. I've always been interested in it, but I didn't go deep inside of that world when I was in um, in, in my, produ my producing job. So it was definitely an interesting challenge for me. What do you think, you know, so Spectre and Skyfall, they did like, I think over 2 billion together. What do you think elevated those Bond films above the other, you know, JB flicks that, you know, had, had defined a lot of, you know, great content before it, before them? Well, I think that there's several things. First of all, Daniel Craig is spectacular James Bond. Um, and there was a lot of love towards him as Bond, and he had overcome a lot to become accepted as Bond, but Casino Royale really did that, and they did that hard work before we came in. So and sick. Then, and then um, I think the following film was made during the strike and didn't deliver what I think people wanted in the follow-up as much as it could have, although there's some very good things in that movie. Then with Skyfall, we had a spectacular director, probably as A-listed filmmakers you could have and as A-listed writers you could have in Sam Mendes and John Logan. So the script was phenomenal. The director was phenomenal, Academy Award winning. And then um, we also were lucky on a lot of the promotional aspects of those franchise and that it was the 50th anniversary, the Olympics in London, and we had Adele performing the song, which you can't dismiss, even though you think, oh, it's a theme song, it's nice, but it actually was a very was big dial movement. Yep. And, um, and so you added it all up, you had an excellent film, you had a um, incredibly, you know, incredible um, timing with some marketing events, and you had a song that was probably bigger than any other marketing event song had ever been and sort of shocked us, even though they chose the song, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson and Sam Mendes, but it still sort of shocked everybody in terms of the marketing power of the song, beyond the quality of the song. So that took it to skyrocketing heights. Then on Spectre, I think you had a very similar situation, which was people loved Daniel, and it was the continuation of that character's journey. And, um, and they just, you know, especially internationally, there was an excitement to see him continue on, you know, on to that journey and a great villain. That's the other thing I want to say. Skyfall also had a great villain. Javier Bardem. And a star in his own right. And he was coming off of No Country for Old Men. So yeah, yeah. very, very big on his own. Yeah, so I always thought Daniel Craig was was going to move on after Spectre. He drove away in the Aston. The interview came out as the movie was being released several months later. So if you, as he said, if you ask somebody when a marathon was ending, right as he crossed the finish line, do you want to do it again? You'd probably say no. But if you ask several months later, you do want to do it again. So that was really, I think, at the end of the day, what he was reacting to. And he very much uh, wanted to come back on No Time to Die. And he was very much a huge part of the production in terms of the creation of the story, the, produ the producing of the story, um, and every aspect of it. And enthusiastic. He's amazing in the movie. I actually think he's, it's the best acting 
I've ever seen him do in any movie. And it's done. And he's really remarkable. The movie's finished. When is it going to come out? It's coming out November 20th here and overseas in different territories earlier. As president of MGM, what was it like to see Netflix and Amazon become studios in their own right as you were, you know, heading out a traditional movie studio? There was no sense that there was a streaming alternative that was going to be a significant original creator at that time. I have, I, I tell the story all the time. The week that I went into MGM, my best friend went out and pitched the television show Narcos and got bought by Netflix at that same time. And our paths sort of went into different directions where he went and went the streaming direction. And I went the traditional media direction. Um, it is interesting on many levels in that you know, MGM, so because it's a traditional, um, goes out through the traditional theatrical release, it doesn't own the distribution, the exhibition network. It doesn't own the theaters in which its movies are shown. Netflix makes movies, and then they also own the platform in which they release what they're doing. So they have control. And so that is probably as big a difference as humanly possible that you could have in that they can go anytime they want to go. They can choose what their price point is whenever they want to choose the price point. They don't have to partner with anybody because it's them across the board, whereas there is this balance of a partnership between MGM's films and exhibition in the first window, which is theatrical distribution. The pandemic has shown that people are, there's great content to watch at their house as well. Yeah. And these two forms are gonna have to figure out some sort of coexisting after this whole experience is, is sort of, you know, comes back to normal and we get back to a, you know, a normal place after the, um, after, you know, we can all go out again. So tell me a bit about Glickmania. Is this your new production house and how do you and how does Glickmania have a stake in the future of entertainment? Um, well, I started the company, I think it started February 18th and Oh, it's uh, brand new. Brand new. And Sick. but I moved into an office which is at the top of the Hollywood Athletic Club, which is a tower in Hollywood. I'm really it's been a you know, it's it's obviously been a tough time in the reality of the world, but it's been a pretty um, uh, productive time for me in that I have movies that I am producing already and I had walked off being able to produce, one of which had wrapped already, which is Respect, one of which is an animated film. So that hasn't slowed down at all because animation hasn't slowed down. Um, but I'm looking forward to exploring all different routes. I'm also looking forward to do television, which I have not been able to do the, my entire um, career because I've been just in the film business. So. I have um, several television projects that I've set up. And as I said, probably the most uh, time intensive thing that I've done is I've sort of backed into a idea that started as a talk show with a major iconic music uh, figure and turned into a musical that is going to be done with a major podcast company. I was, that is um, going to come out this Halloween. It's coming together pretty well, and I'm excited to do it for several reasons. But um, A, I love the project. B, I think that if it works, it's got derivative properties that can go into different formats. And C, as a producer, I have the opportunity to have control over the underlying story, IP, but 
also the music rights. And um, that's not really possible in any other format. Uh, why don't we end with your general piece of career advice to young people who are going about the world during COVID-19? You have to do right now is A, reach out to people, still make sure that you're active, don't be reactive at all. There's not gonna be jobs that are gonna to come to you. There's not gonna be opportunities that are gonna to come to you. You need to present yourself as somebody who is going to create opportunities if you're looking for a job for other people and that you are going to, in this environment, make somebody else look good or make somebody else make money right now. And that's gonna be important to express enthusiasm as well as um, the opera that you aren't daunted and that you are enthusiastic and ready to go in this world. And think where you wanted to be in eight years and try to sort of say, well, that's where I'm gonna be as soon as this is over and start living your life like that. What kind of life did you wanna have? Don't wait for it to happen to you and reach out and go grab it because it's gonna be sort of a frenzy once we get out of this thing with people trying to get back to normalcy and you're gonna to have to just grab your opportunities on your own. Don't wait for anybody to give it to you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was John Glickman, former president of MGM Studios and the founder of Glickmania. John really did convince one of the biggest execs in Hollywood when he was in college to hire him when he saw him in an elevator. So. What he said really rings an authentic tune. Going out and seizing opportunities during this pandemic, don't be daunted and don't be reactionary. Show you're enthusiastic. Show you're ready to go in this crazy new world to anybody that might hire you. Hope you guys enjoyed another episode diving into the entertainment biz. Hit me up on Instagram. Let me know what you guys want to see in future episodes when it comes to certain industries and certain topics. And I hope you guys are all staying safe and I hope you stay frosty. See you guys.